Good afternoon. It's uh, Tuesday, just gone one o'clock. It's Oscar Sentencing Day uh, here in South Africa and, uh, and around the world. Um, I'm your host, Tilly Sharalambos. You're with the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. And I'm joined in studio by our first thing editor, John Stupart, and Alan Davis, uh, Simon Ellison, <laughs> our chief Africa correspondent at the Daily Maverick. Um, guys, before we jump into, you know, I guess this uh, little sentencing thing that happened today that sort of been hogging the news limelight. Um, John, why don't you take us through some of the more interesting things that uh, we covered in First Thing Today and uh, Daily Dose um, newsletter on Cliff Central? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously ignoring the double amputee elephant in the room, um, which obviously was in the, the newsletter as well in terms of what's happening today, um, there were a couple of interesting things that I think, I mean, I would argue actually are, are probably be more important than a culpable homicide sentencing in the more philosophical sense. But anyway, um, Turkey is allowing Kurds into Kobane or Kobani, depending how you pronounce it, um, to, to go and actually fight or help the fight against Islamic State, who have now actually been pushed back in Kobani, which is uh, quite quite an interesting reversal, whereas I think two weeks ago, everybody thought, well, that's at the writings mm-hmm. on the wall, wall uh, for this town, and they're going to get pushed out. So I think that's uh, quite, quite interesting, simply, well, for two reasons. Firstly, because for Turkey, it represents a bit of a policy reversal from nobody's going to get involved. It's just we're just going to let mm-hmm. this play out and see what happens, despite there being you know massive atrocities go- going on there. Um, and secondly, because by letting these guys in, and I mentioned this in the newsletter as well, um, by letting them in, you're actually starting to legitimate or legitimize rather um, the Kurdish case for independence, which has been going on for decades mm. now, but at the same, this is this is quite a significant milestone in that direction, but I think we'll only start to see that, you know, in, in many years hence. Second, I, won- uh, I wonder yeah. if uh, if President Erdogan um, saw a photo uh, that had him and his advisors calling for their brown trousers. Uh, it was a <laughs> side-by-side satellite image of Cobain, and one before the uh, ISIS militants started attacking, and one after the bombing, and it's like someone has taken that paint tool in MS Paint and just painted <laughs> brown where there were buildings. Like the place is just completely decimated. And it's yeah. just, I mean, when you look at that and you just go and you're looking at what's going on, uh, yeah. I'm not surprised that they've, they've managed to come to their senses and, yeah. and have a, had a policy reversal. Well, I mean, that destruction certainly is, I mean, if you just look at the explosions going on there, those, they're on small bombs that, that are being used there. Um, so, so definitely, and also given the fact that most of the civilians were evacuated before this even, the, this battle mm-hmm. even began across the border into Turkey, that is, um, I, I think it was a bit of a free-for-all. So yeah. now I think we might see a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a recognition that, mm-hmm. okay, it's time to chill out a bit, take this a bit slower, mm-hmm. let the Kurds in and just push IS out properly now once and for all. On a more positive note, uh, there was an incredible piece of medical science that, uh, you know, or, or a um, development in the field of medical science that uh, was also reported on. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this kind of stuff, I must be honest. And uh, the, the this chap, his name, um, uh, let me find it here, Derek Fadika, or Fadek, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that. Um, he had the operation two years ago, I should say, um, having stem cells or cell transplant therapy, as I understand it, taken from his nasal bulbs or something like or some part of his nose because apparently it's one of the few parts of your body that still regenerate after adulthood really um, and placed into several parts of his spinal column and uh, after two years of aggressive physiotherapy he can now walk 
which uh, yeah is, is quite impressive. You know, having a, a par- paralyzed man from the chest down now able to walk, albeit with a frame, but uh, he, the fact that he's now even slightly mobile is is amazing. I think anyway. At least in terms I, love, of I, I read a lot of science fiction. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy science fiction, but increasingly the stuff that's happening today, mm-hmm. it's actually catching up with with. The kind of uh, incredible advances imagined in societies hundreds of years from now, the pace at which technology is um, catching up with, with real life um, is quite incredible. Well, and, a, and a prime example, of a great example of that, are the original Star Trek uh, movies. So if you go look at the original Star Trek movies... And you were Trekkies, did you? Well, I'm not exactly <laughs> a Trekkie. I, I, you know, I'll probably only get a semi instead of a, a, a full hard-on. Um, but uh, the, the original Star Trek movies had the um, flip cell phone. Uh, they had tablets. Um, so, you know, you, you, you've got this sort Synthetic of... Synthetic food. Yeah, well. Microsoft versus Apple mm-hmm. debate over who came, you know, came up with the tablet <laughs> first. And meanwhile, it's, it's, the, it's the writers uh, on <laughs> Star Trek. Came up with um, yeah, well, of course, William Shatner came up with everything. Yeah. Um, but also, in uh, getting back to the newsletter, one of my, my and I think a lot of people's um, favorite out of an entire bouquet of really good stuff is the fact of the day. And today's one I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> Which was really cool um, was yeah. when a Kazakhstani shooter, so you know, uh, rifle shooting, um, won a gold medal at the twenty, I think it was twenty twelve Arab Shooting Championships in Kuwait. Her name was Maria Dimitrienko, uh, and when she won, and she's from Kazakhstan, and when she won, this poor girl uh, was subjected to the playing of the Kazakhstan national anthem. Now you say, why was she subjected to it? Um, the organisers, <laughs> instead of playing the real Kazakhstan national uh, anthem ended up playing the one uh, that was made famous by Borat, the, the movie in Borat. <laughs> and if I could share just maybe one or two of the the, the lyrics, the oh, prime dear. lyrics that were included: Kazakhstan industry best in world. We invented toffee and trouser belts. Kazakhstan's prostitutes cleanest in the region, except of course Turkmenistan. Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, you very nice place. From plains of Tarashek to northern fence of Jutan, come grasp the might <laughs> penis of our leader from junction with the testes to the tip of its face. And this poor, poor Kazakhstani girl was sitting there, and you can see the video of her face. She's sitting there, she realizes what's going on, and uh, everyone else is just, you know, kind of, you know, well done on your, your gold medal. And, um, Thank you, Borat, for you know putting Kazakhstan. Thank on you, the, Borat. Yeah, thank, thank you, Borat. Thank you, Borat. Make nice. Yeah, there I was, must. Uh, oh, sorry, I must give credit here as well to Andrea Teagle, who actually suggested this fact of the uh, day today. Our so, resident uh, factistician. Yeah. At uh, first thing. There was also that incident a few years ago where um, quite a few countries have Nkosi Sikalele as their national anthem. Um, at the moment, it's South Africa and Tanzania. It used to be Zambia, Zimbabwe, and Namibia as well because it's it's a it's a song that sort of it's an African. Well, it's an yeah, African song. Yeah, exactly. And I was about ten years ago in one of the the African Cup of Nations where Zambia was. Uh, Going up for the, for their for their national anthem, um, you know, before the match starts, and they start playing Kosi Sikalele, and they all sing along, and then suddenly the music changes and it breaks out into D-Stem. No, no, <laughs> <And> you see, <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All these uh, poor Zambians. Uh, it's really just a good um, reflection of South Africa's aspired <laughs> foreign policy. Yeah. Really. Wasn't it? <laughs> it's the, working. <laughs> uh, wasn't it at the, I think it was the 2012 London Olympics when uh, the North Koreans were playing and uh, the South Korean flag was raised or something Ooh. and I think the North Koreans walked off. Ouch. Um, you know, in disgust and, you know, so <laughs> I guess it's not just, it's not, it's not I just, do sympathize with, with the poor bastards who are being put in charge of these things where, say you're an intern running around organizing the sporting event and they say fetch the anthem for Kazakhstan now you don't speak you know the, the, the local languages you don't understand the culture or anything like so you google Kazakhstan anthem and you know sure as hell you're probably going to find Borat's anthem before you find the actual Kazakh anthem yeah, the, the irony of it all is when we say Borat put Kazakhstan on the map I mean when you look at the size of Kazakhstan, you know, it's a huge country. And when you think about like how much oil comes out, it's crazy that Borat put Kazakhstan on the map. But um, anyway, uh, Simon, you've been doing a bit of uh, traveling. Uh, just got back from Mozambique covering yes. the elections. How are things going there? Um, it's actually quite interestingly poised. So the official results have yet to be released, but we've got a pretty good idea of what's going on. The ruling party's got about 60%. Um, Renamo, the main opposition, has about 32, and then the lesser opposition, the movement for Mozambican democracy, has 8%. This is for the presidential vote. And it, it, it looks like it's a really big win for the ruling party, but actually, in the last election, they got 75%, mm. so they've lost 15% mm. in this vote alone. Um, Renamo has gone from 16% of the electorate to 30, 32 it's a big – the opposition have done well here. Um, so yeah. it, it, what's the system there? Do, are they voting for people or are they voting for parties? The, so the vote they had last week, or the week before last, was actually two votes. One was for the president himself. So they're voting personally for the president. It's a direct election. Mm-hmm. The other was for the parliament. Um, so unlike in South Africa where we vote for parliamentarians, mm-hmm. um, we vote for the party, which, you know, th- th- that gets translated into a certain number of parliamentarians who then vote for the president. Mm-hmm. People in Mozambique can vote directly for the president and then vote for the parliamentarians. So what you're seeing is, is sure, Felipe Nussi, the, the ruling party's candidate, he will be president, but he will be overseeing a parliament that's very different from the one his predecessor had because there's no two-thirds majority for the ruling party. Um, Renamo has something like, we're going to have about 100 seats by the time this everything's counted. MDM went from eight seats to 30 seats. So now you've suddenly got a big, vibrant opposition block, and the ruling party is going to need to take that into account um, when they're making their decisions, and it's going to be a very different ball game for them. So they won't need red overalls uh, dispensed in, in their parliament for uh, Well, uh, for you opposition. know, I, I, I chatted to uh, some of the guys from the MDM when I was there. They're, they're a lot more accessible than the, you know, Filimo and Renamo are quite, you know, these, they're, they're both sort of civil war movements mm-hmm. um, and they can be quite inaccessible. But uh, MDM are a lot more like a, a normal political mm-hmm. party. So I chatted to them and they said, just just wait till you see what we do in Parliament. We're going to show Julius how it's done. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was the, the, okay. their, their words. Well, I mean, that, that's quite interesting now, starting to obviously affect uh, politics, behavior, political behavior mm-hmm. uh, in Parliament across the, across the region. I mean, that's the, just the effect of the man. I mean, that's incredible. Mm. Uh, no, I mean, look, he's, he's undoubtedly a visionary. Um, what remains to be seen in Mozambique is whether what's happening now is, you know, we tend to, I don't know, us, us journalists who 
are always desperate for a good news story, um, despite uh, what people may say. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we tend to see things, I don't know, I tend to see things through quite an optimistic lens. And I, I quite like this idea of the oppos- Mozambican opposition holding the ruling party to, t- to count, to task and um, keeping them on track. The more cynical and perhaps more realistic analysis is that actually what they're doing is they are jostling for their fair share of um, Mozambique's impending resource boom. And that's particularly true in the case of Renamo. And you see what Renamo is doing now. They've rejected these elections. They've said, no, the vote was rigged. Um, we want negotiations to come to a settlement so that we don't um, restart the civil war once again. Um, they've said they want a Kenyan-style government of national unity where there'd be a few you know, extra ministries created for Renamo guys. Um, Afonso de la Cama, the Renamo leader, he'd get a nice little vice presidency mm-hmm. made-up position um, where he gets his blue light brigade and... I imagine access to a few lucrative tenders. And in the words of Michaela Rong, it's, it's his turn to eat. It's his mm-hmm. turn to eat. Everyone um, wants a share of the pie. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to know is with the Renamo contestation, if the negotiations don't go their way, do you think there's a chance I'll actually return to the bush? As it were, you know, with the it's attacks a good question. that, that happened this year? I don't think so. I think because they've already, I, 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 th- I think they're going to get what they want. Um, I think that Free Limo are in a weakened position. Because of the the big Renamo vote, they need to make some consideration mm. to Renamo. They need to make a concession. They're not going to get a government of national unity in the Kenyan style. That's that's too much. But I think that's the that's the opening gambit. Um, yeah, and then like any negotiation, I, you start high. Exactly. I I really yeah. think that uh, Afonso de la Cama will get a prominent position in government, mm. quite possibly a vice presidency. Um, you will see a lot more Renamo figures being incorporated into administrative posts. And then behind the scenes, and this is what journalists in Mozambique kept telling me, is this is the stuff we don't see, that the parts of the negotiations that never make it public is how the, the pie is going to be split up. Um, so everyone's wondering what, you know, because Lakama came out of the bush about a month before elections. Mm. Uh, before then, he, well, he wasn't participating. Renamo was boycotting the whole thing. And he said, no, okay, now I'm going to participate. They signed a peace deal. There was some electoral reform stuff. There was some political reform stuff. Nothing particularly exciting, but the behind-the-scenes stuff was how much money is changing hands, be it in the form of hard physical cash, which has been known to happen, be it in the form of, see this contract for this gas supply company? I'm going to give it to one of your guys. You just tell me who and... um you know, th- th- that's who the tender is going to go to. That's the kind of th- these are the kinds of negotiations that are really going to make or break um, the political situation. And I think in Fril- what's working in Fulimo's favor is because there's so much money coming into Mozambique at the moment, mm-hmm. they have a bit of loose change to play with. Um, certainly enough to buy off the opposition, which which I think is what they'll do. What's the media landscape like in Mozambique? Are there daily mavericks running around there? Are there are there budding daily mavericks? You know, there's, flourishing there's one. There? Um, there's we, we, we were <laughs> we were going to talk about this last week, and we, we ran out of time. Um, I met up with a guy called Eric Charas. Um, and I, I, I've met him a couple of times. He's a fascinating guy. He publishes a newspaper called Atverdade, which is a completely free 32-page broadsheet distributed weekly. It's six years old. It went from a circulation of like 2,000 in their first print run to 400,000 today. Wow. You know, quite incredible. Um, it's printed in Nelspreit. Um, actually, most Mozambican newspapers that aren't state-owned are printed in Nelspreit. And that's a story I want to go mm. follow up. Find mm. find the guy who prints all yeah. of Mozambique's newspapers um, and how mm. they get them in there. And, Printing uh, money. Know. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, 
So, but so an this incredible guy, story though, four hundred thousand. That's but, but, a massive. But it gets better. Massive. It gets more interesting. So he's, you know, he's made it. Um, is this a weekly? It's a weekly, weekly, and it has been. He's been able to pay for it all through ads. Mm-hmm. He put in a big chunk of initial mm-hmm. of initial investment himself, but but the thing was self sustaining until about eighteen months ago when the government started uh, leaning on advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People like Vodacom and MCEL, the two big cell phone companies, um, were told, "Hey." Shouldn't be. Want we, we, don't, we don't want to see yeah. your ads in this paper. Mm, yeah. So then they started running into financial difficulties. Mm. So what he's decided to do, um, and I just love this guy because instead of you know I don't know, if I was him I'd probably say okay I'm going to ditch the print and just go online and you know and I can cut my costs and still keep. He's you know this guy is going balls to the wall, mm. um, double or nothing. <laughs> he's sinking in two and a half million dollars and I think it's his own money because um, he runs some other projects. Mm. And what he's doing is he's uh, stopping printing in Maputo or in Nelspruit. Um, he is well, what he re- what he said is is Mozambique is essentially divided into the sort of north and south to and central. But up in the north, n- that's where the oil and the gas is, right? So that's where all the shenanigans are going are already happening and going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many newspapers there are in the north? Not one. Do you know how many copies of the state newspaper get up to the north are sent to the north? 200. So, 200. So the entirety of northern Mozambique gets access to 200 copies of a newspaper. Mm. That's crazy. Um, essentially, these people are, are cut off from news except for state radio. Mm. Mm. So what he's done is he has imported in pieces, because if he were to bring it all in one, the government would object. He's imported a printing press. Um, he set it up up north. Um, and he's moving his entire operation from Maputo. He's basically giving up on Maputo. Um, and he's moving up north. He's had to, so a lot of his journalists, of course, don't want to move up to mm. some godforsaken city in the north. So well, unless it's Bazaruto or something, that <laughs> might be okay. Not quite. Nampula is not quite Bazaruto, mm. alas. <laughs> and, um, so he's had to retrain journalists, or not retrain, train them from scratch. And you know, find them up north, train them from, from nothing, and, and set up a whole media op- operation. And what, he says is he's gonna he's gonna give the paper away for free again once it gets going. Um, it's going to be very much northern focused as opposed to national news. He'll keep the website going so it, it is accessible f- from everywhere. And then he says once he starts shifting a couple hundred thousand copies a week um, or even a day, he, I think they are going to go daily. Once he starts shifting those kinds of numbers, and bear in mind this is a media-starved mm-hmm. environment. Literacy levels are okay, but there's nothing for them to read. So, and, and it's going to be free. So, of course, you're going to be shifting that many copies relatively quickly. Then it becomes a he becomes a force too powerful for advertisers to ignore. Because essentially, mm-hmm. if they want to get to those people, he will be the only way. So his bet is that he's going to make his newspaper completely indispensable to the north. And in that way, um, the government won't be able to mm. tell advertisers to back off. Well, it's a very bold plan. Option. And then obviously assuming that, mm. you know, that he does reach that level of, of being mm. indispensable to the advertisers that, who would be willing to go up against the sentiments of the government or the wishes of the government. Mm. Uh, and let's hope, I mean, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, for, 
hurrah for free pe- press. Well, and let's also uh, hope he doesn't get disappeared as well, mm. um, you know, and, and suddenly suffers a yeah. fatal air crash or something like that as well, which is <laughs> it's a, a sad an, tragedy for many, many journalists working mm, in these kinds of conditions. Absolutely. It's know. an incredible story, though, just in itself to get to those kind of I mean, That's 10 times or more than the Mail and Guardian, for example, mm. as, a, a, as a publication, you know, to put it into context. It is. It's incredible. And, and it, it's made me think a lot. I mean, the Daily Maverick, we're... Uh, we're a fairly highbrow publication with a fairly elite audience, I think. Um, it's changing, of course, mm. but, you know, we're Joburg based, we're English language. What, what, and in general, that, that, that applies to most of the media in this country. Mm. Places like, I don't know, Limpopo and Pumalanga don't really have any media of their own, and yet they're large populations with all kinds of mm. crazy stuff mm. going down. Mm. Um, uh, this is a model that, that 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 could well be followed in in South Africa. I'm not sure. I mean, still, you're the guy who knows how ad ad mm. stuff works and and how to raise money here. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if something like that would be viable. Which perhaps uh, it would reach you know audiences that most mainstream mm. papers wouldn't reach. Yeah, I've, I've always in, uh, had dreams of a free print version. Uh, uh, mm. You know, based on the Daily Maverick. I think that would be a great. Uh, there's a model. In, uh, I think the Ukraine, I think it could have been the Ukraine or one of the Russian, ex-Russian states where the, the, the sort of the model of a free newspaper had gone from being, you know, what you got in London, like the Metro, which is basically just mm-hmm. syndicated newswire copy, cheap and nasty <laughs> to, um, embracing the free model, which is, but then taking that level of content to the same level as the paid newspaper or even higher. Uh, and they also went from something like, you know, almost nothing to very similar numbers, a couple hundred thousand uh, distribution. I think they were a daily, um, and they became, you know, overnight one of the biggest uh, newspapers. And, it's, and I think it's, it's a great, great model. It's a brave model. It needs it needs some visionary thinking. It needs people who who almost come from the, the, the school of thought. Well, you know, if you want to get, uh, you know, this good stuff out there, you shouldn't create that barrier to entry and rather rely on the advertising model to bring it up. So, I mean, we we, we have visions of that. I mean, it would be great. Uh, <laughs> it takes a lot of startup capital, doesn't it? Yeah, it takes everything takes a lot of startup capital, mm. um, you know, especially. But you know, in a, in a country where I can see why, you know, in South Africa, digital ad spend languishes at around six to seven percent of ad spend, which is um, probably a sixth of what it is in the UK, and less than half of where it should be relative. Mm. You know, we should, we, you know, UK is about thirty five percent. We should be at about twenty. Um, so there's still a lot of opportunity i think in the print space because a lot of budget is still uh allocated to print uh but in mozambique i can imagine even more so i can imagine the digital there is almost nothing so i can see why doubling up on a on a print publication mm. is the way to go assuming mm-hmm. he can get that right with advertisers mm. um john did, did you have uh, some comments on that well i think uh certainly in terms of pushing it out that's it's definitely feasible. Well, I don't know if it's feasible. You would, you still, you'd have a better idea than that. But I, I certainly think there is a there is a hunger for news um, outside of outside of Johannesburg and outside of the English sort of you know um, as you say elite sort of internal or well, sort of interior, I guess. Um, and I certainly think that would be would be viable. Um, at least certainly. I mean, I, I spent several years working in the Northwest Province, for example, where there is no there is no news other than what comes you know via via your mm. your Nokia or if you have a car on your radio. Mm. Um, so there's definitely space mm. uh, Stilly, for, for that. Have we ever thought about uh, translating the Daily Maverick? And w- do you think that would have an impact on 
I don't know. Would that be a good idea if we would have a Zulu version of our stories? Would that bring in a new audience, or is that audience reading in English anyway? Well, I mean, that's worked for uh, Times Media, for example, mm-hmm. when they uh, when they bought out uh, Zulu language uh, weekly. I think what is Solizwe? Solizwe. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's and huge now, isn't and it? And that's huge. It's one of the biggest newspapers in the country now, so there is that demand. And uh, I guess it's really just a a case of having the resources mm-hmm. to be able to do that and bedding down the current. The current operations, but yeah, it's certainly um, you know, as long as we stay in the digital format, we should be able to to do something like that. It's a good point. We'll uh, we'll raise it at the next. We'll hire uh, a translator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the next uh, the next board meeting. Uh, Simon, you're off to Botswana. Uh, more elections. Yeah, more really. elections. More SADC um, elections. I'm not staying for Friday, unfortunately. Friday is the actual voting day. I have to come back. Predictions for karma. Um, I reckon he'll stay with comfort, with ease. I I think he'll stay. Um, yeah, you I know, mean Botswana's I, doing well despite the. I mean opposition parties tend to raise a lot of a ruckus in <laughs> Botswana, but I, I think of a lot of it's just storms and teacups that they talk about things like um, karma will not listen to their grievances very well. So it's a huge spread in a newspaper in Botswana mm. talking about it. So I think I, I'm, I'm confident that 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 he'll actually. Do I think right. karma will do it. I I don't like the the trend we've seen under karma. I I don't think he's been particularly good for the country, particularly in terms of. Of tightening up that political space, um, making it harder for opposition to operate. Uh, he has soldiers don't generally do very well with no, criticism. Yeah. No, um, and he's also got this sort of flagrant disregard for for state resources. So he's been using uh, using military planes to 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 run his campaign. Um, and of course, he says, "Well, I'm the president, so I have to travel in military planes, and my campaigners have to travel with me." And you can buy that. I don't know in the states. I'm sure the president must must travel on Air Force One. When he I think he travels in a giant bus. I'm not actually sure because <laughs> I mean, if you're going state to state, I think in yeah. Botswana, you could probably do it in a maybe a four wheel drive bus or a <laughs> twenty wheel drive. <laughs> well, bus that or country whatever. is so huge. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a vast area. It's a very long way. But so he's got into quite a bit of trouble for that. Um, and I don't know. I I, I feel like. For me, if I was Karma, the thing I'd be most worried about is the the division coming from within the party itself. If you look at Mozambique, Free Limo is a, is a united front. There isn't really, you know, there's a couple of factions. Grassam Michelle leads the the anti um, Felipe Nusi faction, so she, you know she lost out when Nusi was was elected as as the candidate. But there's a faction. But it's sort of all behind the scenes, and they present this united front, whereas Botswana, the the process of the party dividing has already started. Um, The Botswana Democratic Movement, I think it's called. I get so confused with all these acronyms. Yeah, BDM. BDM. um, Their leader was killed recently in in one of these uh, car crashes. Um, Inverted. Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, there's been no proof to say that it was or wasn't an accident, except all the witnesses saying it were an accident. I think there are sort of four or five police officers who just happened to be watching the scene at the time of the crash. So it's all slightly that suspicious. That said, have you driven on those roads outside of Gaborone? <laughs> I mean, people, they kind of make the N1 look, look friendly to motorists, quite frankly. Um, guys, we're going to have to leave the Botswana discussion for, for a second. Uh, we've got uh, Ranjeni Munsami uh, on the line. Ranjeni, you there? Hello, Ranjini. Okay. Yeah, Mr. Lee. Uh, hi there. We we got hi. you back now. Cool. Hi, How is how the thriving metropolis of Danaza today? <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Um, a dog killed a rooster, so there was quite a commotion. 
Uh, because the, the rooster was quite iconic, you know. It's um, been <laughs> <laughs> for a couple of years, and then the dog killed it. So. The rooster wasn't yeah, cocking it's been about. Quite a drama. Uh, I can imagine it must be dominating Twitter today. Uh, the 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 big cock story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the other it's the other one in the story high court that has been doing so. The other guy who's had his goose cooked. Um, Ranjini, um, obviously the news dominating uh, the South African media landscape today as well as international um, uh, services and organizations has been the sentencing and the verdict uh, being handed, oh, sorry, the, the sentencing being handed out for the verdict in the Pistorius trial. Um, you wrote a piece a couple of days ago that just went absolutely ballistic um, on on Daily Maverick. It's become the most read article in the history of Daily Has Maverick, really? really, which is a, a huge congratulations for hey, that. Hey. And I, I think everyone sort of felt that you had summed up the the mood of of the country and and put you know some scathing words to to that mood. Do you still feel the same? Do you still have the same sentiment now that the sentence has been handed out? Even more so, Steve, because it, this thing about after being a special case is is, is is still the underlying factor, you know, in this case is that he's not treated like everybody else. Um, he's gone. He's gone off to prison now to begin a sentence of, of, of five years, but which may be effective only for for ten months. Um, and that's also clearly on the discretion of uh, the Department of Correctional Supervision. So, you know, who knows? Uh, you know, people have the liberty to still feel sorry for him, as I clearly think that the judge did in this case. You know, um, if, if you look at the entirety of the, of the matter and the kind of evidence that was led in this case, um, you, there, there was so much uh, evidence led about the circumstances that led to the shooting, you know about the um, the fans and the magazine rack and the uh, the door and things. At the end of it, it came down to the judge saying that he couldn't have concocted a, a story so quickly. He was crying a lot. Um, you know, by the time the first witnesses got to the scene, it must have been an accident. And from then on, you know, you, you get this like uneasy feeling as soon as she said those words you got this uneasy feeling that she, she kind of felt sorry for him and the defense played on that and you see in the in the in the sentencing um hearing last week that they trumped that up so much you know that the, the kind of uh, argument that oscar is a broken man he's lost everything he's so traumatized he was crying so much he was vomiting in court he was tormented by the media. Um, he's lost his um, his means of uh, earning. He's not allowed to compete. You know, so therefore he suffered enough. That was their argument. Um, and that argument for me was really, really infuriating because it doesn't take into account the fact that he fired four high-caliber bullets into a door knowing somebody, anybody. If, if you buy his line, uh, his, his, his version of events, somebody was behind that door and somebody could have been mortally wounded. And for this, you know, we expected to feel sorry for him. And, and that, that is why I wrote what I did because, you know, there's all these other factors that are, are circling this case. And I just feel that, uh, you know, the, 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 the main factor in, in, in this matter is that he fired at the door intending to harm somebody. And somebody died. 
Um, and whether you know whether he did charity work and took selfies in uh, in, in countries with less fortunate people is really in besides the fact it, it it doesn't go to the core of what this case is about. Ranjini, what do you think the the mood ha- or the reaction has been from from the public? Um, you know, it, it seems to have been uh, you know, it's sort of like underwhelmed, uh, a sense of being underwhelmed and kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe they expected Judge Masipa to come out with sparklers and, you know, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of laser show. In He's the free, you're free, you're all free. Freedom for everyone. <laughs> Look under your chairs and you'll find freedom. Um, what do you think the reaction's been from, from, from the public, judging by what's been said on, on social media so far? Well, I don't know. There's a, there's a sense of disbelief, I think, that he got off lightly. The, the general feeling, I think, is that, that he, he, it's, it's a light sentence, and particularly because he effectively was uh, about 10 months. But so, do, you know, do we know that, though? I mean, it could not be a case of, like, uh, you know, of, of that being rejected uh, because of, of, of the strong public sentiment. Well, it's at the dis- a discussion of the Department of Correctional Services. I don't know, because... You know, all of this is governed by legislation, and he was he was sentenced in terms of an act which provides for him to serve one sixth of his sentence effectively, and then you know he can it can then be converted to house arrest with uh, with the correctional supervision. So you know the act provides for that. It's not just you know people are saying that uh, you know it's not like how in in, in Shabir Sheikh and and Jackie Salebi's medical so so called medical parole you know they just get let off. So it's not that he's just going to come out because he can wrangle something. The act actually provides for that, for him to serve one-sixth of his sentence. So it's very, very likely that he can come out earlier. The NPA seems to believe, however, that uh, he'll, he'll, he'll serve up to 20 months. And I'm not sure what exactly they're relying on uh, to, to make that point. But they also um, are, are, are talking about a possible appeal of the conviction. Because you must know they were unhappy with the well, the culpable homicide finding because they had gone for premeditated murder. So they are, are they may still challenge this in the in the Supreme Court of Appeal. From the information coming out from the Pistorius camp, it looks highly unlikely that they would appeal because I think they know that both on the conviction and the sentence he got, he he got off really really lightly. So they are unlikely to take, to take that route. But there is still the possibility that um, the Supreme Court of Appeal may overturn the the conviction on culpable homicide and and may uh, make a stronger finding. If the NPA decides to appeal, uh, obviously. If they decide, but it looks likely that they would. And I think it's not only about Oscar Pistorius, but because they need the precedent. Uh, you know, as you know, our legal system relies heavily on precedent. And in other cases, you know, this case has been compared to so many other cases and, and what happened and also the convictions handed down in other matters. And because this was culpable homicide and the circumstances around this case, the, the judge could have given anything from uh, house arrest, so basically, uh, you know, no jail time to 10 years or even strong, the, the maximum sentence was 15 years. So, you know, she ha- it was purely her discretion. But I think that what the, um, the MTA wants is a stronger legal precedent for more jail time so that in other similar cases, you know, that they, 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 they're not in this kind of no man's land where you have to kind of guess what happens um, in, in some, some similar circumstances.
Yeah, so you shouldn't have to guess if someone pumps um, four high-caliber bullets um, that are illegal, illegally manufactured with the intention to kill into a door. Yeah, we, we, we shouldn't have to guess what uh, yes. what the sentencing or the verdict should be for, for, for those things going forward. Uh, what do you make of the ANC Women's League's uh, vocal stance at the, end of, uh, at the end of the sentencing being handed down today? Um, calling for the NPA to appeal. Um, I mean, if we look at the ANC Women's League as a, a as an organisation, you know, you'd be you know you wouldn't be wrong to call it a laughing stock um, of an organisation, divisional organisation, um, over the last couple of years. A, 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 you know, toothless uh, organisation, and uh, now seem to be quite vocal. Um, you know, taking this opportunity to you know get in front of the cameras and and push that you know women's rights angle. Yeah, I mean, the, the Women's League is, you know, by no means the most active political organization in the country. And they did use this case, uh, to maximize, uh, you know, their own profile and, and to, to use it as a, as a campaign platform. But the big problem for the NC Women's League is that there is no finding by the judge that this was a domestic violence case. So they can't use it as the big poster case to say, when somebody shoots their girlfriend and you go to jail, they can't do that because the judge's finding was that this was a negligent act. It wasn't an act of violence. So, you know, I, when they say that they want the MPA to appeal, it basically means that they want the entire judgment overturned for, for, for there to be an argument that, uh, uh, Oscar basically got crossed with Riva and he shot her and she died and therefore this is not allowed in our society and we as the Women's League will fight for women who are abused. Um, but <laughs> this case, there were no facts in this case to support that kind of argument and that was the big caveat in the state case is that they couldn't make the argument for, for uh, you know, the, the, the fact that there was some kind of fight uh, between Oscar and Riva and that he chased her into the bathroom and then shut at the door, basically, to harm her. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the Women's League, I, I don't know, they, their role in this trial kind of evolved and changed as things went by because then they said they were supporting the parents and, uh, you know, now and then they'd be demonstrating out the court, outside the court about domestic violence and things like that. But, um, yeah, you know, th- this case could have been used as... Um, it's something to be held up as a, as a test case in society for gender violence. It's just unfortunate that the, the you know, for them, that the, the, facts, the legal facts didn't support that. Okay, um, Ranjini, we, we're going to wrap up uh, the phone call now and, and continue the discussion in studio. I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, you can go back to the. Um, Cockfighting that was going on in Dan House. I can't, can't remember. <laughs> Hashtag dead cock. It's going to start trending now. <laughs> And uh, I'll keep you guys updated about the, uh, the dead cock. And again, uh, congratulations on the success of that article. You know, years and years of political analysis and uh, one Oscar Pistorius article. <laughs> <laughs> Hope it doesn't define yeah, I know, your, your, your uh, journalism career. Yeah, that's a tragedy. You know, a few days before that, I'd interviewed Amit Katrada, and he made a very um, interesting uh, comment on Pistorius. And he said, you know, they were they went into they went into prison under the most brutal conditions on Robben Island. You know, had to sleep mm-hmm. on the floor, and uh, had had no, uh, you know, none of the, the the liberties that are allowed prisoners now. And his advice was. 
don't worry, Oscar, you know, everything will be fine, you'll adapt. So um, maybe Oscar should take that to heart, you know? Yeah, uh, wise words. Ranjani Munsami joining us from Danaza, thank you so much. Stilly, My pleasure. How many of our, our best read stories are Oscar related? Um, just <laughs> offhand, I'd say out of the top five, uh, two. Two. Two out of the top five. Not, not as bad as it could be. No, out of the top ten, I would say that number is three out of the top ten. Um, so we, we've had a, a diversity of, um, you know, of stories that have gone viral. And it's great to see that great content, great feature length writing can go viral. It doesn't need to be a BuzzFeed list of, you know, things you can do with. Ten yeah. reasons you might suspect your boyfriend wants to shoot you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a story in that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so we had uh, um, Ivor Vechter's In Defense of a Lion Killer was uh, the one mm. before this that uh, that was published in, I think, uh, this time last year. Um, Michelle uh, Michelle Bachman, I think. Was it Michelle Bachman? Um, Melissa Bachman. Sorry. Yes. Yes, there we go. Uh, who, who shot that cane, a caged lion in South Africa, uh, and that went, um. uh, and then went completely mental around the world as well. Um, and then there's, uh, the, uh, funny enough, uh, one of Marilise's Mer- um, uh, articles, Elisa Lamb, has now been rocking up steadily um, since she wrote the article in June, has still been rocking up and been found by American audiences uh, and still racking up numbers, massive. And then uh, I think you know Rebecca's article on the day that uh, the Oscar shooting came out, mm-hmm. the day afterwards, uh, yeah. day afterwards, uh, her piece is up there. And then there are a couple of... Uh, Oh, uh, pop lack pieces that are they're in the top ten, and uh, Joseph Coney by still there, still there, still, hey. still in the hey. in the top ten. Um, nice. Those are the glory days. It's been downhill still ever there, since. Still there, like Joseph Coney. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is exactly what I predicted. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just looking at some of the feedback on 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 Twitter to the sentencing today. I mean, there are a couple of ones that have stood out for me. Uh, one was um, so Oscar gets one point two five years for every shot. I thought that was um, for every shot fired. I thought that was quite quite telling. The other one was um, lesson to be learned from this kids. Uh, you go to jail for a longer time if you shoot a rhino, so don't shoot rhinos uh, instead of people. Wow. Um, sentences can be can be. <laughs> Or if you're going to shoot a rhino, put a door, uh, put him in a toilet, uh, <laughs> and, and, and shoot him there. Claim you saw an antelope, right? <laughs> But I guess uh, you know from from a from a media uh, house perspective, I think you know we're I don't know if you are, but I'm breathing a sigh of relief. We can kind of get back to sort of well, I was, our I was, normal crazy world that is South African. I was current filled affairs. with dread at Ranjani saying that that there's a likelihood of an appeal because I thought yeah. of this carrying on. I just I can't handle it anymore. I just want some closure. That's why you know I, I looked at you know I watched Oscar quite closely. I'm sure everyone did as the as the verdict was announced, mm. and he sort of. He didn't cry. He didn't throw up, which he's been doing throughout this trial. I don't know. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm putting things into like his he mind. Had a sense of well, let's just get on. Yeah, it's like finally this is con- con- there's a conclusion, mm-hmm. um, and I can deal with this and then get on with my life. Mm. Especially if he feels in the back of his mind that he's he's confident that the one sixth minimum time could be yes. a possibility. Mm. One sixth of the sentence is ten months. Ten months in a in a okay. in a special area of. of is it C-Max um, that he's going to um, for high-profile inmates? Um, you know, ten months to write his book, and then the other um, thing, uh, write the screenplay, <laughs> take a Kindle and a few box sets, and, and you'll be fine. You know, he's, hanging he's, out. He's got to pay Ruse law fees somehow. You know, yeah. he's got to figure that <laughs> yeah. out. The irony is, if he had been denied bail, he probably wouldn't even be ser- 
going into jail at all now. You, you know, I think the sentence would have. Well, I mean, I suppose he still would have been processed mm-hmm. and all that, but I don't think he would have yeah, spent much time uh, spent behind good, bars. Mm, yeah, him, and, him and Radovan Kreter playing Scrabble there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, these are my Serbian Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> no vowels. Um, and, and then, you know, as soon as this ends, you know, the, the Divani case is, is picking up and, uh, and, you know, we'll see a, probably a lot more media attention being uh, attributed to that case now that the world's media can can breathe again and uh, move on to the other high-profile murder case that's uh, that, that's happening in South Africa at the moment. Poor bastards! They must hate South African law courts. Uh, yeah, and, and although they'll know where the good restaurants are by now, <laughs> well, at least in Pretoria. So they have to go to Cape Town now and uh, figure out find their new spots. I, th- I think Cape Town is a lot easier to find good restaurants <laughs> than Pretoria. Um, guys, as we wrap up, um, Simon, we touched on what you, you you're doing for the rest of the week. I mean, road tripping to Botswana. Uh, you got your playlist ready? Playlist podcasts. Um, Shania Twain. Bit of company. Okay. <laughs> Shania Twain. Gotta have Shania Twain. <laughs> All right. Thank you, John. All right. Uh, I feel like I should unsubscribe from first thing after, <laughs> after that comment. Um, Samanya, you were touching on earlier, just as we wrap up, uh, some things about Botswana don't sit well with you. It feels like there's a little bit of facade because, I mean, democracy kind of gets a lot of good, good PR. It does get a lot of good PR and it, it does deserve a lot of it. Um, a couple of things to mention are, I mean, one thing is its size. It's small. And this doesn't necessarily lead to good governance. You look at places like Equatorial Guinea or Lesotho. But it, it is, does certainly make things easier. I mean, that Ibrahim Index of African Governance, um, four of the top five countries have populations of a million or less. Um, they're all the island countries in Botswana. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is easier to, to keep a handle on things, especially in a place like Botswana where there don't seem to be that many existing tensions. Um, it's a relatively homogenous place. I was just going to uh, say quite homogenous. Yeah, as well. the, the people with the biggest the biggest uh, gripes are the Kalahari Bushmen, um, who don't like being kicked off their land for for more mines. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so it's it's it's. I think it's relatively easy to keep it going. Well, they have the diamonds, um, and they've managed them and pretty coal well now as well. As well, and coal is, is coming on stream soonish. It's much to ESCOM's relief, I think, um, if we can find a way to get it here, because um, I think that their coal is a lot easier to extract than than what's left of ours. So, uh, you know, it, it's I think they've gotten whoever rules Botswana has a relatively easy job as far as governing a country is concerned. Um, and Kam has done okay; he hasn't done terribly, but he hasn't done particularly well. There isn't the sense that in the last five years Botswana has continued. It's progression, progression economically, socially, politically. There's the sense that in all of those areas, it has stalled, um, stagnated, um, and possibly, you know, politically gone a little bit backwards, economically gone a little bit backwards. And that's, a lot of that's to do with, um, the sort of unraveling of, of the De Beers diamond cartel. Um, the price of diamonds these days is a lot more, um, unpredictable. And that means that, um, I mean, I mean, a few years ago, Botswana's GDP contracted by 7.2 percent, wow. purely as a result of a change in diamond prices. I mean, There's that's also an incredible a renegotiation of terms, I believe, with De Beers as well yeah. a couple of years ago, um, which which affected things heavily and not not necessarily well. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, he hasn't done that well. Mm. 
Um, uh, and on a personal note, uh, are you due to see your wife anytime soon and just be released? Um, <laughs> in theory, so to speak, in theory, um, quarantine. So my my wife is uh, currently in a nunnery in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Nothing to do with the state of your marriage, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, if you know me, who could, who could blame her? <laughs> Um, no, she was evacuated there um, from the Central African Republic, where she was working for Doctors Without Borders. Um, there's a lot of, um, yeah, no, not good stuff happening in Bangui at the moment. The situation is very tense. But the good news is she should be getting on an MSF flight to Kinshasa tomorrow and then on a flight to Johannesburg on Friday. And I'll be very glad to see her. Oh, it's been a while. And she needs to get past that body temperature scanner at Orotombo as well. <laughs> yeah. Should be okay. <laughs> Al- although, you know, um, who was it? What, what a, an MSF doctor was telling me the other day that, that he'd come back from, no, not MSF, a, a, a journalist telling me he'd come back from Sierra Leone and, uh, via Brussels, because of course you can't fly direct from Sierra Leone. And you, he filled in the form and he put Sierra Leone on the form and the lady just, just took it and put it in the stack. In Brussels? No, 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 in, Oratumbo. Oh, when, Oratumbo. He, when he came back to Oratumbo. Oh, okay. Um, so no one's, everyone's filling in these forms. Right. Um, but no one's actually checking. And, and did he have to, did he have to pass through that scanner, that uh, body yeah. temperature scanner? So he, but he didn't have you, but that wouldn't have shown if he was in the incubation oh, period. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the, because Ebola's only, days, yeah. yeah, 21 days. And fortunately, Ebola is only infectious when it starts showing symptoms. So you can't pass it on while it's incubating. Mm, that, that, that is, I mean, that's been a little bit of a concern is, you know, are our borders, uh, and our main post, obviously, our mm-hmm. being the biggest one, uh, are we doing enough as a country, uh, at a preventative or detective measure to, to pick up, um, potentially infected people? No. 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 <laughs> a resounding yeah. and scary no. It'll and, be a and scramble no one, and a reaction. It won't be a pro and no one is. It's, it's pretty much, I think, impossible to, to really keep a track of it, the people coming into Oratumbo, you rely on them to tell you if they've come from these affected countries, so you can give them mm-hmm. special monitoring. You rely on these body temperature mm-hmm. scanners, which aren't going to show anything because if can it's incubating, it's got no symptoms. So it's really there's not much. Can more you do a you blood do. test in the incubation period to determine whether someone is infected? Uh, there's no simple blood test for Ebola. So it, it's quite a complicated, expensive procedure that has to be sent off to a lab mm-hmm. and takes a good few days. Um, so there's no way we're going to be doing that to every person who comes to the, into the country. Yeah, uh, that could be probably quite detrimental to our already um, <laughs> sort of <laughs> difficult and unfriendly <laughs> visa regulations. Yeah, um, John, what's on the horizon for first thing, uh, things to look at uh, or things you're looking at uh, for the rest of the week or likely to be yeah, coming well, up for the next week? I mean, obviously Ebola uh, will be uh, you know a, a constant. Along the staple with this, diet of Ebola, ISIS. Yeah, and the the battle for Kambani, it seems almost every day there's something on that. Something I'm keeping my eye on, and you might not want to hear this, Simon, is the DRC, actually, where I'm starting to hear whispers on the wind in the eastern DRC of... Uh, um, if not um, outright violence, or the ADF Nalu is now being fingered with these recent attacks. I'm not entirely convinced it was ADF Nalu, um, and there's been linkages with Al Shabaab and things like that. And that's, I, I think, there's a fiddle going on. If I'm honest, I don't buy um, the Al Shabaab linkages. No, it's it's complete bullshit. But that's that's the the rumors that are being put out there. So I'm certainly pay, paying attention to that. Mm. And also the, the there was apparently reports of a crash drone from the UN, you know, now running their drone program in the Eastern DRC. I've found nothing to confirm it, which makes me all the more curious. Oh well it sounds some 
Like some interesting things ahead. Uh, gentlemen, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on the Daily Maverick Show. We've had Simon Allison in studio, John Stubart in studio, and Ranjani Munsami on the line. I've been your host, Tilly Sherolumbus. Until next week, uh, we're playing out with this strategically chosen song for the day, uh, given uh, what has gone before. We look forward to having you with us next week live on air or catch us on the podcast, uh, which you can find at dailymaverick or cliffcentral.com.